let's just be, let's be brutally honest with each other. It is hard to sing that song in all honesty and either live on earth or have something on the inside that is constantly giving you contentment regardless of the circumstances. Would you agree? <laughs> to say that it is well with your soul and to not have anything on the inside that is actually recontextualizing the challenges of this life, it's, I mean, the only time that we can really say it's well with our soul is things are going well according to our definition of well. And so I believe that it is, it is God who uniquely empowers that song to be an honest praise that we can offer to him because he's done the work in giving us something on the inside. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what is actually required to be able to sing that song in honesty because it takes the Holy Spirit working within inside to give us a peace that surpasses all understanding because that doesn't sound logical. I need a peace that passes logic, Right? I need something on the inside. And so we're going to talk about that today in our series uh, as we wrap up. Okay, the reason I'm standing in front of you is because I need you to do me a favor along with my daughter here really quickly. So if you could, would you take these, and I'm going to explain what you're going to do in just a few moments. And would you please um, just, uh, come on, both of you. What I'd like for you to do is just uh, take one of these and pass it to each person as you go down the aisle until you run out, right? Um, and then uh, for each of you who received them, would you glance at them quickly and then just pass it down the aisle? Feel free to let the notes just kind of work and run throughout the crowd. You can, those of you who have on this side, keep yours on that side. And those that have on this side, you can keep them on that side. You ready? All right, good stuff. Um, just make sure you're following directions. Very good. Very good. I, I recruited the right people for that task. All right, good stuff. What, what are you receiving in your hands this morning? What you are receiving are little thank you notes that were written to us a couple of months ago, a few months ago, in response to an incredible act of generosity that came from this local body. Um, there was a Jolly Elementary School, one of the schools uh, in Clarkston. Uh, we were just aspiring to, to, to have a local missions partnership with them, and they let us come in. And one of the first needs that they made aware to us is that there was a third grade class that without some kind of support, or a work of generosity, they wouldn't be able to go on a field trip. And uh, all of you, each one of you, in some way contributed to that. And the reason that I'm passing the notes to you and asking you to pass them around as you read them is these little cute notes express such gratitude uh, from the hearts and hands of these little ones. Some of them have pictures. There's like two people on a hill and one's got some cash and the other one's kind of like reaching for it. I love it. I, I had so, it just, it did my heart well to read these notes of gratitude. I felt like it was an appropriate primer for our final message from the book of Philippians because Philippians is exactly that. It is Paul's thank you note, a note of gratitude back to the Philippian saints for the great generosity that they showed him. Generosity is powerful. I mean, it just has seismic activity in the lives of others. And while it seems like a very small gesture to us sometimes, like, for instance, the school only needed like 600 bucks. And so I don't know how much y'all gave. Some people may have given like a dollar. Some of you may have wrote a big old check for like two fifty. Who knows? But for those of you who didn't write anything, we as a church probably kicked in and said, "You know what? Out of our reservoirs, we're just going to make sure that they hit six hundred. And so, which means anything that you've ever given to this church has been a part of that process, whether it was a penny or whether it was like a you know a big old check. So. Um, generosity is powerful, and it's something that all of us can participate in. And so we're going to talk about generosity today, but from a biblical perspective. Um, so we have, we have reached the last message in our series of six from the book of Philippians. You've already heard that. Uh, so some of you may or may not have been here throughout the duration of the series, but we have six identities that really capture the essence of, or of our core values and what we want to see the Lord cultivate in our lives. And so those six identities are... Um, usually I quiz y'all, but let's go. Help me out real quick. Our six identities are 
Dependent children, love it. Responsible siblings, yes. Intentional what? Intentional disciple makers. Servant leaders. Gospel-centered believers. Generous stewards. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, what I hope you notice about them is, yes, you can kind of pick your favorite, but what I would hope has happened in all of our hearts throughout the course of this message series is that you recognize the identities as being more like the keys on a piano than the buttons on a vending machine. What do I mean? The keys on a piano, while the individual notes can be played, we all know that they sound their best when being played together, right? They create the best melody when all played together. But when it comes to a vending machine, it's like, you know what? I like the gospel. I'm just going to go for a little A7. Boom. And that's all I'm going to focus on. Or maybe I just want to be a good servant leader. I'm going to choose some C6, you know, Reese's. You know what I mean? And that's all I want. But the, but the identities for us as a local church, more like the keys on a piano than they are the buttons on a vending machine. We simply do not have the luxury of choosing our favorite. You may have your point of entry, you may have one that really aligns with your respective personalities and your gifts, but we as a church should be playing back to God a beautiful melody of having all these things at work in our lives at various times with greater emphasis on one note or the other, but they should always all be at work within our lives. And so we're going to talk today about what it means to be a generous steward, and I hope you love it, but I hope you love it alongside all the other ones that you just mentioned as well. If you haven't had a chance to kind of participate in the whole series, feel free to go back and look at, uh, listen to uh, it online. Oh, you can go through our website and also see them. All right? So um, if you've got your Bibles with you, you've already read Philippians chapter 4, but we're going to read an additional passage to really help us kind of get our hearts there. I know I usually open with some crazy story from my childhood or from work, you know, someone throwing knives at me while I'm holding balloons in my mouth. Y'all remember that one? Or it was a whip, you know, or something like that. But, but that's not where we're going. Um, this morning, I want to take a look at two stories provided to us by the Lord Jesus Christ to really help us set up today's message and have a more fuller appreciation of what the Lord is saying through the pen of Paul here in Philippians chapter 4. But first, let's pray. Father God, we are thankful to you as the original and the most awesome and continuous shower of generosity. Without your generosity, Heavenly Father, we would not have been able to take a breath this morning. Without your generosity, Lord God, um, we would not be able to eat. Without your generosity, Lord God, that you show to the entire planet, we would be too close to the sun and literally this place would be unhabitable. Or maybe we'd be too far away and it'd be unhabitable for the, for the opposite reason. Lord God, you give us season. You, you keep the schedule of gravity so we're not smushed like grapes and we don't float off and fling into the universe. You give us this halo, uh, atmospheric halo so that we can have something to breathe without having to wear self-contained apparatuses over our heads. Lord God, you are generous through and through. The moment we open our eyes in this earth, we are seeing and experiencing the tender mercies and the great generosity of you. But you don't stop there. You deeply desire that we know you not just know you as the one who generally provides a welcome habitat, but you provide relationship, and you pursue us, and you keep us, and you hold us, even when we squirm and kick and don't want to be in your hands. When we don't want to do life your way, you're faithful. And we thank you, Lord God, for being so generous toward us. 
And so, Lord God, um, this morning, we ask that um, you would help our hearts to grow in generosity as we grow in our understanding of how generous you've been toward us. And we also ask, oh God, that if there is uh, here today, Lord God, for that person who does not know you, has not responded to your generosity, that you would strike a note in their heart, Lord God, to see you the way you want to be seen, and then that, that that soul would respond by giving itself to you. Lord God, we just pray that, uh, and maybe if that person isn't here, we pray that we who hear this message would be good stewards of it, and we would take it out and impart it to others, and there would be salvation that would take place that way. We pray also, Lord God, for those who listen to us online, that perhaps something they would hear would prick their heart, and they would step towards you as a result of the power of your word. But Lord God, we pray for the salvation of souls, and we pray for the sanctification of our souls, Lord God, for those of us who claim to know you as Lord. This we pray in the matchless and holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, again, um, I believe Jesus gives us a, a great uh, handful of illustrations of his own. Two stories in particular. One is found in the book of Mark. In the book of Mark, uh, specifically chapter 14, I want to read this story to you. Um, book of Mark, chapter 14, beginning with verse 3, it says, While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon, who had a serious skin disease, as he was reclining at the table, a woman with an alabaster jar of pure and expensive fragrant oil of nard, she broke the jar and poured it on his head, but some were expressing indignation to one another. While has, well, why has this fragrant oil been wasted? For this oil might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they began to scold her. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, and you can do what, it, what is good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for my burial. I assure you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus' words could not be more true. We know about this woman. This is an interesting story, and I want to compare it with another one. Uh, if you would turn with me in your Bibles again over to another place, and this is Luke chapter 21. Very quickly, just a couple of verses, two stories about some unique acts of generosity. Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse 1, it says, He looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple registry. And he also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these having put in gifts out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in all she has to live on. There is a singular truth that ties together both of these two stories. But before I tie them together, I want you to see something. The Holy Spirit, through the pen of the authors, wanted to make sure that we saw these texts quantitatively. Notice how the scriptures zero in on the fact that the widow gave two tiny coins in contrast to the large amounts that Jesus obviously saw the others giving. We also see in the first story that 300 denarii were given, and the scriptures, if you, know anything, if you know about the denarii, one denarii could satisfy the wages of a general laborer for a full day. 
So 300 denarii would satisfy a person's wages for 300 days. Let's do a little quick math. 365 days in a year, if I'm a good Jewish guy and I don't work on the Sabbath, that's minus 52 Sabbaths, that's 313 days of wages. So in other words, this is one year's salary, right? Jesus wanted us to know that in both cases, what the amounts were involved, the material amounts, the local economy amounts. But then he also says something else about these acts of generosity. Number one, the act of generosity for the woman would extend well beyond its material impact because wherever the gospel is preached, people would know about what this woman has done. Number two, the widow's mite was said to be more money than everyone else put in the offering plate. What is Jesus looking at? Well, there's a couple of truths here, and one of them is this. We know for a fact, based on Jesus' words, that obviously eternity views generosity differently from the temporal world. Not only does eternity view it differently, but it registers differently with the heart of God. Now, what is this central truth? I believe if you look at both of these, what we can walk away with, which is going to help us understand Paul's great gratitude in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, what we walk away with this is this, is that generosity, spirit-led, biblically founded, gospel-driven, Jesus-like generosity is a heart statement long before it becomes a bank statement. I'll say it again. Real generosity in, of the biblical kind is a heart statement long before it becomes a bank statement. Now, notice I didn't say it was a heart statement instead of a bank statement. It is a heart statement before it ever materializes as a bank statement. So what is a bank statement? A bank statement is simply this. It's a collection of digits that tell us our economic horsepower, our capacity to give of certain things. Our bank statement is a collection of digits that tell us how much we have spent, how much we're keeping up with our respective budgets. That's what a bank statement is, right? Agreed? other than just a bunch of filler stuff that doesn't belong in the envelope. That's what a bank statement is. But what then are these heart statements that I'm talking about that must precede real biblical generosity? Well, the heart statements, I believe Paul unpacks them for us in Philippians 4, 10 through 20. But the heart statements are these. It's a series of devotions that really shape the hows and the whys that we choose to give. And so what exactly are these heart statements? There are a few of them that I'm going to unpack for us. So first, I'm gonna just going to simply outline them for us in Paul's words. You ready? So I'm going to overview, outline them, and then I'll go back and unpack them in detail. If you've got your Bibles with you, take a look at verse 10. Take a look at verse 10 or turn on your screen, whatever you do. Verse 10 or look behind me, right? Verse 10. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Once again, you renew your care for me. One of the first heart statements that precedes the bank statement is, I care for you. I care for you. Generosity says, I care for you. All right? We're going to move down in the text. I'm not skipping verse 13. I'm just saving it for dessert. That's later. But I want you to also move down here to verse 14. The apostle Paul says, listen, guys, I've learned the secret to contentment. He says it before. I learned the secret to contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, whether I'm broke or whether I'm a bust, whether I'm, whether I'm flush. I, 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 I can be content. I can be satisfied. It is well with my soul, right? But then in verse 14, look what he says. Still, still, even though you know this about me, still you were did well by sharing with me in my hardship. The second statement of the heart, well, the first one is I what? care about you. The second one is this. I carry this load with you. 
I carry this load with you, recognizing that there is heavy lifting in the lives of some, and we want to carry this load with them. That's what generosity does. Now, there's a third statement. There's a third one here. Let's keep it going. It says, and you Philippians know in verse 15 that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Go back. I want you to notice something. that There's a little nuance here. In the, the first time, Paul said, man, y'all cared for me even though you didn't. You, you, the only thing you lacked was opportunity, but your heart was always toward me. You cared for me. The second thing he says is, man, you still gave to my hardship even though you knew I had a theology that could handle hardship. You still jumped in and got on board with my hardship. Then this next thing, Paul introduces a little phrase that we love to talk about around here. Does anybody recognize it? What's the word that I'm talking about? In the early days of the, in the early days of the gospel, that's right, thank you, Geneva. In the early days of the gospel, you guys, when I, when I left Macedonia and no other church was shared with me, you guys kept on giving. Even at Thessalonica, you gave repeatedly, you gave several times. So what's the third heart statement? The third heart statement is this. Well, let's do the first one. What's the first heart statement? I care for you. What's the second heart statement? I carry this load with you. The third heart statement is this. I collaborate in what God is doing through you. I collaborate in what God is doing through you. He's officially introduced the idea of the gospel. In other words, you could give to what Paul was doing even if you didn't know what Paul was going through. He's just like, you know what? We just, we just want to get on board with what God is doing through you. I collaborate in what God is doing in your life. Now, the fourth uh, one is going to be a little bit more complex, but it's not going to be hard because y'all are a very attentive, detail-oriented, gospel-centered, Bible-reading church. You ready? Um, it's in verse 18, but I have received uh, full, uh, everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? A fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That's, that's very reminiscent of old Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, if you don't know, right? Uh, and also the story we read about the lady breaking open the, the precious uh, perfume, all right? But then look at this, verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Now that was an interesting turn in the text, right? So Paul was thanking them for giving to him and, 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 being, and carrying a load with him, for caring about him, for collaborating in the work that God is doing through him. And then he does this other thing. He says, listen, man, I got a confidence that God is not only meeting my need through y'all, but God's going to meet your need too. And, and then he invites us into this whole conversation of, of, of the glory of God now being at work or being on display because of the way that they're giving and how generous they are. Here's the fourth heart statement. I co-sign with Christ to the glory of God who is a provider for you and me or for me and you. Let me find, I know that's a little bit chunky, but follow me very carefully. What Paul says is when we, when we act generously, we become co-signers. Now, why is that important? The Bible refers to those who place faith in Christ as joint heirs with Christ. So if I'm a joint heir in Christ, when I show generosity, I join in in what God is doing in Christ. And I join in in glorifying the Father as a provider. Notice how God is a provider, not because Paul found a magic bag at the end of rainbows after chasing leprechauns. He didn't hit the lottery. Paul became, Paul became, Paul praised God as a provider because he provided through them, but then in turn said, you know what, I'm confident that God's going to provide for your needs. And so we become these co-signers to the glory of God that he indeed provides when we participate in this generous way. 
So now exactly how do we use these truths? And this is what we got to do some greater work in terms of unpacking. So scroll back in your Bibles there to now verses 10 through 13. What exactly does it mean when we say, I care about you? Why is that an intrinsic statement, a heart statement for a person who is moving in gospel-driven, biblically-based generosity? Again, I care about you. What does that mean and why is it important? Um, uh, number one, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, you may not have this on your screen, but you'll know the address. It is the address of the fruit of the Spirit. And one of them is simply kindness, or, or one of its manifestations, one of its expression of the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. The Holy Spirit works in the lives of believers to wrought kindness, to raise the level for which we care about the affairs and the things of others. He increases our kindness. And listen, the, the business of kindness and care does not just belong to people who graduated from uh, high school and were voted most congenial, right? The Lord does not allow fruit of the Spirit to only live in those who have a natural predisposition for them. The Holy Spirit resides in us to supernaturally transform our ambitions, our appetites, our ideas, and what we believe is good. He transforms that. The Holy Spirit does. And then he constantly testifies to the witness of Christ and how he has already led the way in that. And this is why the Bible would tell us that, that, that even the fruit of the Spirit are just a reflection of the attitude of the Father. Have we ever read, and I know you have, Psalm 103? Listen to it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all of our iniquities, who heals all of our diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, and who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. God is the original inventor of generosity, and when we place faith in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit who begins to work within us so that we become reflectors of that very same attribute in God. The Holy Spirit resides in us to generate in us a kind spirit that moves in generosity toward others, to help us to care for others. How many people in the room will admit that there's certain things in this life that you just don't care about, but you know you should? One, one of the great workings of the Holy Spirit is to generate some care and kindness toward things that might not register for us as even being important. This is the supernatural work. It's not a personality work, right? It's not a nurture work. It's not, you know, having to go back to some kind of school and have people to bark at you to things in the world, the top 10 things that matter most. This is the work and the job of the Holy Spirit so that in us, our hearts are regularly reflecting the same attributes that the Father has and give them regular, everyday, horizontal expression in our world. One of the things that I'm regularly moved by, I've seen, I've seen some acts of generosity, just genuine states of, of care. One of them that pops into mind is, uh, bear with me here, my, uh, my sister doesn't go to this church. Um, she pops in every once in a while. She goes to another church, and she's at work today. But I remember a conversation. Um, we were sitting at the dinner table, maybe just a, last week or so, and uh, she was like, man. And I was like, she was like, my, you know, my bank account is down to like one cent. I was like, what? One cent? I was like, I didn't even know the bank would let you do that, you know? <laughs> Don't they just automatically suck that out as fees? You know what I mean? Like, you hit the one cent mark, give us that. You know, that's how my bank do. You only got five dollars. Give me that. You know, we got something else to do. Uh, but she was like, "We're down to one cent." And she wasn't begging for money. We were just kicking it, right? And um, and I said, "Yeah." I said, "She said, yeah, my, they, they cut my days down at work, so my check came up a little bit shorter than usual." And uh, she said, "I had a few people that I had to pay my bills and some other responsibility to take care of." And then I just, at the end of the, the situation, I just ended up with one cent. I was like, "Oh man, that's tough," you know. Um, uh, okay, I'm not being in general. She lives with us, so chill. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I saw that, I saw that, I saw that condescending brow. Like, how come, bro? How come you didn't write her a check? We're at my dinner table having this discussion. <clears throat> but the point of the story, <laughs> the, the star of the story is not me; it's her. So, right after that conversation, she got wind of and became aware of the fact that it was her nephew, my son's birthday. She goes out somewhere, I don't know how, I don't know where, and comes in with some dented up box of Pillsbury brownie mix and says, we left her in the kitchen. She was like, I'm gonna make Amon a cake. And she was in there making this cake and doing this thing, and I was like, okay, then we'll see you later when we get back or whatever. We come back home, she's got these iced and stacked brownies sitting on the counter for us, and I, before we pulled up and drive it, I said, we are each going to have brownies. Right, when we get there, we'll make sure that we respond well, because she's, she's acting out as generosity. But let me tell you this. The brownies technically were not all that delicious. But spiritually, they were scrumptious. Because they came from a heart. They came from a heart of generosity that says, I have one cent in the bank. But what I can do is I can make some brownies. The mix might even be expired. I may not even be that great of a cook. But I want to respond in care to someone else because they're meaningful to me. I want to make a gesture. And let me tell you, it isn't just my son's birthday that she does this. It's like Christmas. It's the, least, it's the person who you least likely expect to show up with bags. And she's like, I just had to do something. And it could be something that she made, something that she crafted, something that she bartered to get a hold of. But, but, a, but a heart of generosity just simply says, I care for you. And sometimes the care cannot be contextualized monetarily. We need to grow in our care. We need to grow in our care because in our culture, a capitalist culture like ours, trust me, it is typically the bank statement that leads in informing us what we can do and how we could do. I'll be the first to admit, when I see need, I'm like, okay, how can I just boil that down to a, well, is that $50 or is that $500? Baby, what do you think? I'm talking to Carrie. Can we write a check for that? And then if we can't, we feel like we, we almost give up on being truly generous if we can't boil it down to a very capitalistic statement of writing a check. So this is why we're talking about generosity as a heart statement long before it becomes a bank statement because we live in a culture that wants to go bank statement first. You see, when you go bank statement first, there are people in our lives who need deep generosity who we might be able to keep them on the other side of town, out our hair, off of our phone, as long as we just get them a check and keep them at arm's length. But the Lord says, no, bring them close. Show them some generosity. Generosity is a heart statement long before it becomes a bank statement. Final, final note, and this the bottom line is this. And Paul said his word. He said this to the Philippian church. I know that you care for me. I know that you care for me. You just lacked opportunity. See, that's because generosity looks for opportunity rather than necessity. Opportunity says we, we got to show care, and I'm not just going to wait for this person to beg for me. I'm not, gonna, I'm, not, I'm not just on the hunt for when they reach their bottom dollar. Generosity just says, man, I care, and I'm just looking for the opportunity to show it to you. In other words, what's going to stop my generosity is there must be other obstacles, but, but I'm not going to be the stopper of generosity. Because generosity says, I care about you. I care about you. Verse 14, generosity also says this. What does it say? Second statement. I carry this load with you. Thank you, Carrie, to help me on deck. I carry this load with you. Let me ask you this. Um, has anybody ever, has anybody ever moved a queen-size 
or king-size mattress by yourself? Yeah, yeah, show of hands. Now, let's just, let's just be honest. I mean, depending on where you're at in your fitness and whatnot, a, 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 a king-size or full-size mattress is technically not too heavy for one person to carry. What's the problem with a king-size mattress? The weight is distributed in such a way that even if it's not too heavy for one person, it is a two-person job. You understand that many places in our lives... There's stuff that as, we, that as we look at someone struggling or having hardship, we say to ourselves, well, yeah, they can do it by themselves. This is not a strength issue. This is not a competency issue. This is not a commitment issue. This is not a discipline issue. This is not a responsibility issue. I'm not looking at it trying to make an appraisal as to whether or not they can do it themselves. It's just a two-person job because the weight is awkward. Think about some of our families. We got, the, we got the barbers who are getting ready to, to go do their thing for Jesus and for the gospel on the other side of the globe. I'm trying to keep the name of the location out of the situation, right? Y'all going out here to do your thing, right? Did anybody know the barbers? It's like, it's 12 of the crew, right? Right. It's not too heavy for one person to carry the load, but man, that, that's, that weight shifts. It's a lot of them. Would we not want to participate in that hardship it's not that Derek can't carry the mattress. It's just a two-man job. How do we get in? How do we get on it? Oh, but consider this. Life is like that for many of us. It may not be the mission field. It may not be a big family. But, 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 but real generosity is looking at the rigor that a person has to go through and says, I want to lighten your load. I know you could pull it by yourself, but this isn't about, like, again, this is where being an American can creep up into our theology and begin to spoil it. Because we believe that there is something cool about proving how we can do something by ourselves with no one else's help. And because we operate out of that kind of me-based, that meology, not good theology, we operate in that kind of meology, others become our cheerleaders in it. They become consultants on well, you know, what you really need to do with that is lean it the other way. Standing in the yard with their arms folded. I'm talking about life situations. I'm talking about when we're moving stuff. There are times when we see people having a hard time, and we become their personal consultants on how they need to adjust if they really want to get through it. Not, here's the statement. Generosity says, you need a hand, therefore here is one of mine. That's what generosity says. It says, you need a hand, therefore here is one of mine. One of the reasons that in Paul's life, this kind of generosity would have been deeply compelling is because they understood that, that, that helping to carry the load protects the worker from this, protects the person from despair, and it protects the purpose that they are serving from being damaged. In other words, lovers of the gospel, lovers of Paul are people who look at him and says, you know what? Paul is highly credentialed. We read that earlier in the letter, but just because he can do it by himself doesn't mean he should be doing it by himself. We don't want him to despair under the great load of driving the gospel to the ends of the globe. How can we help him carry that weight? But not only do we not want him to despair, but we don't want the gospel to slow down. We don't want the gospel to get damaged. We don't want the gospel to get muddy. Right? We don't want the gospel to, to find impediments simply because others didn't participate. And so generosity says, I care about you. Generosity says, I carry this load with you. But generosity says something else. Look at verses 15 through 16. I told you I'm saving 13 for dessert. Verses 15 through 16, 
Paul says, and you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Why are these two movements important? So if you think about Paul's work in Thessalonica, it was a very short stay, a very short stay because they got ran out of town. He says, even on a short stay, you guys gave several times. I want you to think about this. There ain't no Western Union. There ain't no cash app. Right, so these are people who are, who, are, who are receiving letters maybe from weeks or months ago whose hearts are toward the Lord, who are, who are listening to and hearing the Holy Spirit's pull that they need to do something. And Paul says, y'all know you're the only ones who came to my aid. Well, why would they do that? Well, the third statement is what? I want to collaborate in what God is doing through you. How many people in the room um, uh, know Joshua and Amy Pune? You know them. How many people don't know? Let's get it on the center. How many people don't know who that is? What is he talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. But guess what, though? But they're deeply involved in the work of spreading the gospel in, in Nepal, as well as some other work that they're doing in, in the lives of refugees in, in Clarkson. How many, how many of you know all five of the doctors at the Ethne Clinic? How many, how many of you know all about uh, refuge, right? But there are things that resonate with you. There's work that resonates with you, even if you don't know the workers. And so, the, so, so, so this third statement is simply this. I collaborate in what God is doing through you. There are people who quite honestly gave, just like you did to those elementary school children. You didn't know those kids. But you felt like generosity was on deck. You felt like generosity was necessary. And so generosity says, I want to collaborate in what God is doing through you. Why is this important? Paul says in the early days when nobody else was getting on board. Why is that important? Because there are times when something is just starting up and our confidence in whether or not it's going to succeed is low because of who's doing it and how it looks. I'll tell you, as a church planter, prior to my experience here with Gospel Hope, and even we've experienced some of it with Gospel Hope, but you'd sit down with people, pour your heart out, pitch and cash vision and talk about what the Lord is doing through you, and they'll be like, oh, that's beautiful. Call me when you get fully set up. And then you reach the next level of being set up, and they'll be like, oh, that's beautiful. Call me when you get really set up. And then you get really set up, and it's like, that's so awesome. Call me when you get your own building. You get your own building. What do y'all really need us now? Because what? They're, they're, they're assessing the need of the work based on, eh, well, I don't know if I fit in that or not. Man, but the heart of generosity doesn't even know the workers. But they say, Lord, we believe in the work. I know that the gospel in its early days needs support. It needs lift. And no, it's not a popular movement. Right? We could get cut off at the knees, so to speak. We could, we, we could become less popular than what we are. We could find ourselves in a significantly disadvantaged position. Don't we have more local stuff that we could give to? But generosity, the generous heart makes a statement. I collaborate in what God is doing through you. And what, you know what? This is not far from us. Is anybody in here who owns, who with me? So this is not a trick question or setup. Who in here with me owns Apple stock? Google? I guess I should have used another example. IBM? Yeah? Who in here owns stock? Don't worry about it. Just pick your hand down. All right, because this is not working. <laughs> here, here's the deal. For those of you that own stock or have anything in play in the markets, do you know the CEOs personally of every company? Do you know from top to bottom those employees, but you believe in the work? 
<laughs> you believe that the iPhone is going to continue to saturate the market and can produce profit. <laughs> you believe that that number is going to continue to go up on the Dow Jones. Even if you have a simple savings account, you believe that that 2% is going to come from somewhere, even if you don't know the people down at Truist or SunTrust or BB&T or Wells Fargo. You, don't, you, you might not even know the person that's managing your 401k. You don't have to know the personalities because you believe in the work. You believe that retirement is necessary. You believe that saving is a good thing. So we already have pockets in our lives where we believe in the work and don't know the workers. Right? Should have got you some Apple stock two weeks ago. It was trading pretty low. <laughs> er. <laughs> than what it normally does. We as a church do not provide stock tips and nothing that I say in a message should be regarded <laughs> as, nothing that I say in a message should ever be regarded as financial um, advice. Um, my expertise is purely and exclusively in the area of gospel handling. <laughs> Just got to put that asterisk in there because they'll come and get you. Um, I collaborate in the work that God is doing through you and in you, Right? Apostle Paul says it was in the early days. So sometimes we scale our giving based on perceived success, if other people are on board or not. He says no one else. Scaling based on popularity. Sometimes we get on board with giving when we see something that's got a lot of gusto and a lot of momentum. It's like, yeah, if everybody else is giving to it, I'll get on board with that. There's a line of people lining up to, to give to that. And even in Thessalonica, sometimes we scale back our giving because we don't think that it's going to have extended duration or impact. So in Thessalonica, it might have been believed that, that because they were there for such a short duration of time that maybe the gospel wasn't going to have any real legs. But they continued to give because they believe in the work more so or even more than the worker. And so here's the final statement, the bottom line, that generosity places its faith in God's work more than the worker, recognizing that the worker, regardless of how popular, the worker, regardless of how well intended, is still fallible, is still frail, is still just a human being. And so, so while we care for people, we still, we, we, we should be moved by generosity because we believe in the advancement of the gospel. Doesn't mean that we depart from doing due diligence to check out ministries and other efforts to make sure that they are operating in integrity and accountability. But 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 let us All right. And so here it is. Generosity places its faith in God's work more than it does God's worker. And let's turn the corner here. Paul says something really interesting in verses 17 through 19. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek profit that is increasing in your account, but I have received everything in full, in abundance, right? And he says, listen, what you give, or your, he says, and I, I'm going to move down to this, and my God will supply all your needs. Now, wait a minute, they just gave and he's saying that God will supply all your needs. And he, he says it with confidence. He says, I, he didn't say, I hope. He says, God will. My God will. Which means Paul knows that God is a supplier, that God is a provider, that God is a need meter. He is convinced of that. And that confidence then translates to the fact that he can bring others along to celebrate in that. When we give, when we show generosity, we are co-signing as joint heirs with Christ that we want to join in on the celebration throughout creation that our God is a provider. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and guess what? I might be one of the cattle that he wants to give through. 
In other words, we are not waiting for miracles and magic to supply the needs of things in the earth. It doesn't mean that God doesn't move miraculously. We saw Jesus in the scripture pay taxes out of a fish's mouth. But in this scenario, we see the gospel advancing because the Philippian church decided when no one else would participate that they were going to participate. And so when we give, we co-sign as joint heirs with Christ to the glory of God. Look at how Paul refers to it, the mutual benefit. Both the giver and the receiver are benefiting because they will have their needs met because God is a supplier. It was not only a mutual benefit, but it was also a beautiful thing that they did because it says that it is a fragrance to God that is pleasing. But then it also produces a worshipful response where we declare a truth about God and we hang our hats on that, that God, you are a provider and I glory in you and I take great gratitude in being one of the means through which you are known in the earth as a provider. This would be a great place if I was a more exciting preacher to then turn around and beg for a humongous offering. But here's what I really want to bring your attention to. 23 years ago, I was standing um, in the office, in the, the church office of a church that I was working at, and uh, just kind of a young theological gun. Yeah, that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. You know, that's not consistent. That's not reform. You know how you do when you're young. You know what I mean? You're killing them. You know, compassionless, the new sheriff in town. You know what I mean? Getting it done. You know, just kind of doing my thing. And I was in the church office talking to another believer about having recently moved into my aunt's house. And uh, I wasn't complaining. I was just, you know me, I'm a storyteller. I was just explaining the situation. They had recently roughed out a room in their basement for me. And uh, all I had in the room was like, a, you know, a lamp, a table, a bed with no headboard. And I only had one set of sheets on the bed. No comforter, no nothing, no blanket, just, just one set of sheets. The, the, the hard one to fold, which is the fitted, and then that other one that you kind of tuck if you know what you're doing. And so I was just sharing that story. The next week... Uh, Phyllis and Elmo Walker. Elmo is an actual person, not a puppet. Phyllis and Elmo Walker, um, one of our deacons, comes up to me, he and his wife, with two handfuls of shopping bags full of bed linen. Just from, and I didn't say it to them. I didn't say it out loud for them to hear it. I'm just having a conversation. They picked up on it, and they immediately came back with stuff for me. And you know what I did? The young egotist wanting to prove that I was in Detroit, I was going to be able to cut my own way. Y'all might be living with my aunt, but I'm going to come up. I just need time. I don't need your sheets. I just need, I, I got a job. I just need a little bit of time to, to stack my chatter, and I'm coming from the basement, and I'll be in the living room soon. <laughs> I'm going to do this. You know what I mean? I came, I moved to Detroit with a weight bench, a 40 explorer, and two laundry baskets of unfolded and half-washed clothes. And when I left, I was like, I'm going to come up, ah, they're going to be like, oh, wait, right? You know, be on the Rod Dewberry train. But Phyllis and Elmo Walker broke me after my pastor spoke to me because he had to put me aside and was like, man, you need to learn how to receive. These people are showing you a great act of generosity and you out here being all cool, talking about how you can't receive it because you, know, now you don't need it. You know why? Because I thought of generosity as a bank statement. I thought by them being generous to me, they were suggesting that I was broke. 
By them giving to me, they're suggesting that I don't have my stuff under control. By, they, they're suggesting that I can't carry my own mattress. But the reality is they were just being used of God to be generous, to help a, help a young man get ahead, get a head start. I mean, even if it was just a simple gesture, like a set of sheets, that's all they were doing. They were trying to be nice and generous. How big of a jerk did I look by constantly pushing back their generosity? So then I asked the question, here it is, God, who caused it to rain equally on the just and the unjust. He keeps the refrigerator full. He keeps the lights on around here on the planet. He makes sure that we're cool enough and warm enough through the seasons and all that kind of stuff. He's, he's pulling out all his generosity. And here comes God into our lives with the apex of his generosity, the highest offer of generosity. I don't want to just pay bills and keep the refrigerator and the cupboards full and the lawn cut for you guys. I'm not just keeping the lights on around here on earth. I want to personally step into your lives. I want to give you me. Here is my son, Jesus Christ. In other words, the, El the, the, the Elmo and Phyllis Waffer, God walks into our lives with bags of goods that we say to him, I don't need that right now. Give me a little bit more time. Give me a little bit more time, Jesus. I can carry the weight of my own sin. I just need enough time to accumulate a bunch of good. I don't need anybody to die in my place. That's a wonderful gesture, but there's other options around town. I don't need your big acts of justice. God, thank you. That's so, oh, Jesus, look at you on the cross for me. I wear a cross and everything. Look at me. I recognize your generosity, but I don't know if that's for me because I can do this on my own. You're getting in the way of me building a life for myself because I recognize that if I give over to you and accept your generosity, you get to call the shots and shape the outcomes of my life. And I don't know if I want that yet. So our real rejection of God's great generosity in Christ is not so much that we can't use it or need it because we know the moment that we do that, that the Lord who purchased us at Calvary's cross now has some say-so in what we do with these lives. I'm trying. <laughs> so this is the million dollar question. If you don't know Jesus, the question is, are you rejecting his active generosity because you really think you can carry the mattress of your own sin? You think you got it? Is it because you think you just need a little bit more time to get your stuff together because soon life will be going exactly how you want it? And God isn't just trying to bless our dreams or our, our wonderful version of our future selves. God is stepping into our lives and inviting us to the kind of fellowship that he desired that we always had with him. Not just knowing him as one who keeps the lights on, but the one who would come into our lives. The Lord Jesus makes this appeal that we will allow him to carry that burden, that we would lay them down on him. Thank you, Jalen. Let me say this. When it comes to contentment, this final verse, I said I was saving it for dessert, and here it is. In verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me, referring to Christ. He says, I've learned the secret of contentment. People who struggle with generosity consequently don't know it, but also struggle with contentment. You see, when you struggle with contentment and you have great abundance, you're saying, man, 
I need to save as much of this as I can for a rainy day. I can't afford to give any of this away because what am I going to have just in case, you know, things go bad in the economy? For those who have a little, who don't have the secret of contentment or don't have the contentment of Christ, what they say is, man, I don't have anything to give because giving is financial, isn't it? But see, when we come to place faith in Christ, one who became poor for us, that we might have life. The one who came into our lives and said, birds have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. His entire earthly ministry was marked by contentment in the Father's will for him. And however the Father needed to, to supply, he was good with that. Contentment is not a call to give up on goals and to go home today and just trash all of your luxuries. No, contentment says whatever station I am in, like the song that we read, whatever station I'm in, whether I am consider myself to be classically poor, classically middle class, or to be, or to be a, play, a person of abundance, that particular station in life, I should be content and confident that I am there per God's own permission, God's providence, and God's provision to both keep me and to use me in that space. Generosity is a heart statement, not a bank statement. And the moment that we get the fact that through my generosity, I'm just saying, I care for you. I care this low with you. I collaborate with what God is doing with you. And I just want to be a co-signer on the glory of God, that he is a provider for me and you. The moment that we get that down in our hearts, we get incredibly free with every area in our lives. We get incredibly free with our individual gifts of ourselves. We get incredibly free with, yes, the stuff that we have in the bank. We get incredibly free with anything that we have at our disposal. Not sloppy, not careless, not poor stewards. We just get free. Because we are content that God is just as much a supplier of my needs as he is your needs. And this station that I occupy in life is uniquely made possible because of the keeping of Jesus Christ. The keeping of Jesus Christ. So, uh, this morning, um, I'd like to just kind of help us. We're going we're gonna to celebrate communion this morning. And I use the word celebrate um, intentionally in this regard. Um, we, in communion, we drink of the cup and we take the bread as a statement that we have responded to God's greatest act of generosity and that is the giving of his son Jesus Christ that's what we're saying so here is the caveat if you know that you've not responded to God's great act of generosity in Christ if you know that Jesus Christ is not your savior then you should sit this one out not because we're excluding you but because I want to include you the right way if you're hearing this and you want to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you want this kind of contentment that allows you to be up or down but still be grounded in a solid place where you can say, it is well with my soul. If you want that, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. I want to have a conversation about what it means to know Jesus Christ in this incredible way that breathes new life and confidence and makes us as incredibly generous people. I want to talk to you if you don't know Jesus in that way. But, but be, I want to talk to you before you take up the cup. But if you know him, Will you celebrate with us? Will you celebrate with us the great generosity of God? That's what we drink to. That's what we take of the cup to. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you began the work of generosity. And it, and it, and it reached its climax in Christ. We're going to sing one song. Brother Jay, you going to take us there? We're going to sing? Amen. And then after we worship the Lord, we're going we're gonna to set up to receive communion. And what we would like to ask you to do is just from the back, if you would come toward the middle aisle, from the back, starting with the back row, that you'd come toward the middle, and there will be two stations up here. They'll get set up while we're, while we're playing the next song. And we want to celebrate the Lord. And if you're one of those people who does not know Jesus, will you come find me? Will you come find Pastor Ryan? Will you? I'd love to have a conversation with you about this. Amen.